The following is a reflection on the readings for Friday of the 19th week of Ordinary Time. The first reading is from Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 1 to 15, verse 60 and 63. The responsorial canticle is from Isaiah chapter 12 and the gospel from Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 12. In today's gospel, the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus by asking the question, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? To phrase the question this way, that is, focused on the man's right without considering the woman, reflects the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4, which permit a layman to divorce his wife by giving her a certificate of divorce. This allowed the vulnerable woman in that culture to then remarry, thereby protecting her from poverty and destitution. But the woman herself had no right to seek divorce. The purpose of the Pharisee's question was to discredit Jesus, because if he disallowed divorce, he would go against the law of Moses. Even more, Jesus might invoke the wrath of Herod Antipas and Herodotus, both of whom abandoned their spouses in order to remarry. John the Baptist had already been put to death for condemning such an arrangement, and the Pharisees were hoping the same fate would befall Jesus. The trap seemed inescapable. But Jesus, rather than contradicting the law of Moses, clarifies it by quoting Genesis chapter 2. Essentially, Jesus says that Moses permitted divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24 only as a temporary concession to the people's hardness of heart, but that from the beginning it was not so. In the parallel passage of Mark chapter 10, Jesus actually quotes from Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and chapter 2 verse 24, the essentials of marriage. Quote, God made them male and female. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Jesus therefore uses the principle of Scripture, rightly interpreting Scripture, that puts the question of marriage and divorce in its proper context. The proper context is the original intention of the Creator before the fall, when the gift of marriage was first bestowed. Thus, the essential aspects of marriage are laid out by Jesus Himself, and they include fidelity, indissolubility, and totality of gift between a man and a woman. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, we also see the aspect of openness to children, when God says, Be fruitful and multiply. These essentials can be placed in a yet deeper and more fundamental context of God's covenant relationship with His people, which is depicted itself as nuptial in such Old Testament books as the Song of Songs and Hosea. God is the bridegroom and Israel His bride, in a relationship that is total, faithful, fruitful, and free. This truth is hinted at in today's first reading, where God, speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, recounts how Jerusalem was cared for since her birth and development until the time of her betrothal. Quote, I passed you by again and looked on you. You were at the age of love. I spread the edge of my cloak over you and covered your nakedness. I pledged myself to you and entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord God, and you became mine. End of quote. However, trusting in her own beauty, Jerusalem played the whore 
and committed abominations. Yet God promised to establish with her an everlasting covenant when, quote, I will forgive you all that you have done. This is fulfilled in Christ, who describes himself as the bridegroom and the church as bride, in a new covenant that is total, that is, he sheds his blood and lays down his life for his bride on the cross, faithful, that is, by not divorcing himself from the church despite her continued sins, fruitful, by enacting the sacraments which engender children through grace, and free, by unmerited favor. Since these four essentials ground the covenant relationship between God and his people, both in the Old and New Testaments, they will also be at the heart of Christian marriage. Thus, when a bridegroom and bride come before the altar on the day of their marriage, questions are put to them in the form of these essentials. Quoting from the order of celebrating matrimony, the priest or deacon asks the couple, Have you come here to enter into marriage without coercion, freely and wholeheartedly? Are you prepared, as you follow the path of marriage, to love and honor each other for as long as you both shall live? Are you prepared to accept children lovingly from God and to bring them up according to the law of Christ and His Church? Only when both parties answer yes to these questions does the celebration continue and promises are then exchanged which repeat the same answers now in the form of vows. Thus, sacramental marriage is meant to be a visible sign of this deeper reality, as St. Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 5. After describing the characteristics of marriage between a husband and wife, Paul concludes by saying, This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and His Church. In other words, marriage on earth is meant to manifest the greater reality in heaven. Another word for mystery is sacrament. This is important because such a unique sacramental grace is given to the spouses which help them live out the demands of conjugal love. All of this factors into the answer by Christ to the Pharisees that forbids divorce and remarriage. The seeming exception in the text of unchastity in chapter 9 verse 9 has different interpretations from scholars, the most common being incest, that is, the spouses are too closely related by blood. But this impediment means that a valid marriage was never entered into in the first place and constitutes grounds for an annulment. When the disciples hear the answer given by Jesus regarding divorce and remarriage, they are shocked and ask, If such is the case of a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. Notice that Jesus does not water down the teaching in any degree, but does provide another way to respond to God's total gift of love through the vocation of celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus encourages this path by saying, Let anyone accept this who can. Thus, in today's gospel, two wonderful vocations are brought together, that of marriage and celibacy. It is no accident that both are discussed back to back within the same chapter of Matthew's gospel, because each is a particular way in which we are called to live out that highest vocation of holiness. That vocation is fulfilled by responding generously to God's own gift of himself to us in the Incarnation and especially in his death on the cross. We see how much these two vocations are interrelated and complementary. 
marriage reveals the nuptial character of celibacy, and celibacy reveals that the ultimate purpose of marriage is to prepare us for heaven, for that wedding banquet of the Lord. Celibate men, in fact, become an icon of Christ, and so their bride is the church. Celibate women become an icon of the church, and their bridegroom is Christ, and both bear spiritual children. That is why each of these vocations need our support and encouragement, because an attack on one challenges both, and ultimately it is the family that is at risk, and when the family is weakened, so is the church, which is why we see a shortage of vocations to the priesthood and religious life. So all of this is deeply related. The vocations of marriage and celibacy foster our call to holiness, which in turn strengthens the family, society, and the church, all so that we may be joined together at the ultimate wedding feast in the kingdom of heaven.